Greetings, greetings, greetings. Today we're going to get into chapter 5 of A Benny Song, written by P. Jelly Clark. Chapter 5, Prisoner. We left off chapter 4. Urbani's village has been completely destroyed by the storm women and their, um, I guess they were calling him their master. It seems as if they were calling him their master, the, the man with the flute and the goat mask leading children away with songs of unrealistic images in their minds painted by the music that he's playing on his flute and crazy (laughs) I'm going to use that word crazy storm women just ravaging the village burning and snatching up her family friends, elders, everybody terrible and right before all of that happened she was snatched away by this old woman that everybody calls a witch. And the woman's been around since the beginning of her village's time. So Abeni's really buying into this witch idea. So she's like, I don't know what she's feeling, but if I was a 12-year-old and I saw witnessed all of that mayhem and tragedy and trauma happening to everybody I love and the only people I've ever known my whole life snatched away from me and then I'm snatched away by this witch after being chased down by a storm woman I don't know what I would think um in the hands of this person who made my mother well she didn't make her mother give her the child but requested a child what kind of old woman that live in the forest come requesting a child? Who are you? Oh my gosh. So I can see why she sees herself as a prisoner. And um I'm thinking I'm I'm living in America and we're raised up off of a lot of European stories. Well, not everybody, but um I'm a product of the public school system and um I remember hearing about, about Hansel and Gretel. And the the witch in the woods, and she fed them candy and good food or whatever. But she was just fattening, fattening, fattening them up so that she could eat them. <laughs> so when I hear the word witch, that's what I think about. What you hear? What you think about when you hear the word witch? Not nothing good. Not nobody's house. I'm gonna wake up inside of. So yeah, that's where um, Abani is. A prisoner, the witch's prisoner. Let's get into it. Abeni squinted at the bits of sunlight touching her face. She woke up feeling exhausted. It was an effort just to sit up, and she immediately regretted it. She put a hand to her head. It was spinning, and her stomach felt queasy. Her legs were the worst. They ached as if she'd been running for miles. She closed her eyes, waiting for the dizziness to pass before opening them again. For a moment, she was confused. 
She was inside, lying on sky blue blankets with golden patterns atop a giant cloud of white cushion filled with something soft. The cushion sat on a long bit of red-brown wood with legs carved and painted like a cat's. It put her somewhat off the ground and she leaned over the edge to peek at the polished floor below. The earthen walls surrounding her had been polished smooth too until they gleamed like stone. Drawings in colorful chalk covered them in a pattern. Deep blues and bright reds, stark whites, shining gold and vivid purples that took up every space. She thought she could just make out the shapes of people and animals. In another drawing, she glimpsed a lush forest and a moonlit sky. Others, she couldn't say what they were precisely. There were so many, it was hard, it was hard to tell where one began and another ended. It all connected like a great big painting. She looked past the strange drawings to where a round hole had been cut into one wall. It let in the sunlight, which made her eyes squint. Through that opening, she could see outside to what looked like a garden. Tall green stalks stood up straight from the ground in rows amid thick leafy bushes and bright flowers. Altogether, it was a beautiful sight and she gazed in wonder. Birds flew throughout the garden, calling to each other in musical chirps and melodies that reached her ears. One, with blue and yellow feathers, flew right through the hole and into the room. She ducked low as it circled her head once before rising higher, whistling a tune and flapping about. Abeni watched the bird in a daze. The way it went on, she couldn't help but wonder if it was here to welcome her. She frowned, but birds didn't talk. And welcome her where? This wasn't her home. This wasn't her sleeping mat. She peered down at herself for the first time noticing what she wore. Why, these weren't even her clothes. She was wrapped in unfamiliar brown cloth, which was odd because... Last, she recalled, she was wearing her special dress. Her birthday dress. That's right. It was her birthday. The memories came back at once. The dark gloom, the storm women, the living ropes, the man in the goat horn mask, the song. The fear, the fires, all of it flashed through her mind while screams and cries filled her ears. She could almost smell the burning, the hot smoke filling her nose and chest until she wanted to choke. Her hands clenched into fists, clutching the blankets about her so tight it hurt. The dizziness quickly returned and her body shook, reliving all those terrible moments. How could she have forgotten? She looked around again, forcing her mind to think, to remember. How had she gotten here? Someone had taken her. Yes, they had fled her village and the storm women, fled the man in the goat horn mask and his strange song. 
She had felt sick, and then it was like she was falling into a deep darkness, but someone had caught her, carrying her here. The witch, as if summoned, the old woman appeared. She walked through an open space like a door, entering the room. A Benny inhaled sharply, drawing into herself. The witch was just like she remembered. A tall old woman in a plain brown dress, wearing colorful shawls about her shoulders and long beaded necklaces that jangled as she walked. Her thick white locks were pulled back and hung to near to her waist, tied up with a bit of bright green cloth. In one hand, she carried a clay plate and in in the other, a bowl. At seeing Abeni, her white eyebrows rose, not in surprise, more like a patient expectation. You're awake, she said by way of greeting. Good. Glancing up, she noticed the bird still flapping about the room and the lines on her brown skin drew into a frown. Shoo! Away with you now. She's had a long sleep, but still needs her rest. The bird whistled back. Well, you'll just have to wait until she's feeling better, the old woman replied briskly. Now, get out of here. Go on. The bird chirped something back that sounded like disappointment and then flapped through the hole and away. Abeni stared, stunned. As the old woman set the dishes, she held down on the round flat top of a small wooden table with three legs like a stool. The bowl was made of dark wood and intricate black carvings covered its surface. It was filled with food, some kind of fish stew. Round balls of fufu sat on the nearby plate. All of it smelled quite good and made a Benny's stomach grumble, a reminder that it had been emptied earlier. I've brought you some food, the old woman said. She lowered to sit at the edge of the long cushion draping her shawls more closely about her and looking at Abeni awkwardly. She seemed unused to talking to people, much less 12-year-old girls. Her wrinkled face was blank, not angry yet not smiling either. But those dark eyes stared with interest. Abeni stared back, saying nothing. Was this really happening? Was she really in a witch's house, being offered witch's food? She'd heard tales like this from storytellers in her village. They didn't usually end well. You've been asleep for some time, the old woman began as if talking might help ease the moment. In the past three days, you've done little else. Abeni's eyebrows jumped. She'd been asleep for three whole days? It was the magic, the old woman explained, reading her face. The spell was stronger than I would have liked, but it was the only way to escape. And I've never used it on someone so... She fumbled for a word then settled on one. Small. Abeni just continued to stare. 
magic. She remembered now. They had been running so fast that everything around them went by in a blur. Was that why her legs hurt so much? Her feet had even touched water running across a river. She'd run across a river. It had all been magic, a witch's magic. A brown wrinkled hand with fingers adorned with rings reached out for her forehead and she shrank back. The old woman stopped short and frowned. She pulled her hand away but kept talking. You had a fever. Strong magic can do that, but it looks broken now. I'll bring you some water and... Abeni listened as the old woman went on about rest and food and where some fresh clothes could be found in the corner. After everything that had happened, these seemed the wrong things to be discussing. And why was she going on as if Abeni would be staying here for some time? Why weren't they talking about getting her back home? Someone somewhere must be looking for her. After three days, they had to be. Opening her mouth, she found it dry. It took some swallowing, and even then her voice came weak and thin. I, I want to go home, she croaked. If the old woman heard the words, she didn't acknowledge them. She just kept on, talking now about her garden, where Abeni could get some sun when she was better. Abeni frowned. She didn't like being ignored. I want to go home, she repeated, this time making her voice stronger. But the old woman kept talking. Something about gathering plants in the forest and that she might be gone from time to time. Abeni glared now, her anger rising. She wanted to get back to her village. There had to be others who'd escaped. She needed to find them. Then they could... They could... Well, she didn't know what they would do, but she couldn't just stay here, eating and sleeping in a witch's house, as if that was the most normal thing in the world. I want to go home, a Benny's shout echoed in her ears. She hadn't known she could yell that loud. The effort left her tired and dizzy all over again, and her throat hurt. She had to fight to not lie back down. Finding her anger, she held on to it, the strongest thing she had right now. The old woman went quiet. Then with a sigh, she shook her head. There is no home for you to return to, girl. You saw what happened as well as I. At her words, fresh memories flashed through Abeni's head, people tied together like animals by the storm women. The other children of the village, led away by the man in the goat mask. She shuddered, trying to shake the visions away. Liar, she shot back. The old woman's white eyebrows drew together and she leaned close. Little girls should mind their words to one my age. Would you speak this way to your mother? Abeni glowered. She wasn't a little girl. She'd seen 12 harvest seasons and this woman wasn't some village elder. 
You're not my mother, she spat. My mother isn't a witch. The old woman's eyes narrowed, becoming two black points. She looked ready to retort, and for a moment, Abeni wondered if she'd perhaps gone too far. But a change passed over her face, and it smoothed out, becoming calm again. You should eat, she said. You haven't rested fully, and it is making you say foolish things. Abeni's eyes rounded, her anger flaring up like her nostrils. Swinging out an arm, she swept the bowl and plate from the small table. Hot stew and fresh doughy fufu went splattering onto the floor. She glared at the mess, then looked back up in satisfaction. How is that for foolish? The old woman eyed her coolly. I didn't know you were still such a child. Fresh embarrassment replaced satisfaction, and Abeni felt her face go hot. Before she could respond, the old woman casually lifted a hand, moving her forefinger in a small, looping circle. A clattering came. Abeni looked down to find the bowl and plate stirring. They rattled and jumped as if they'd come alive. With a sudden flip, they righted themselves. Spilled food lifted from the ground and returned to fill them. She gaped as both dishes leaped into the air to land back onto the table. Every drop of stew and bit of fufu had been rescued like they'd never been undone. Steam still rising from both. You need to eat, whether you know so or not, the old woman said. The food will remain warm and unspoiled. She rose to her feet, gathering her dress about her. I'll return with water. Perhaps when you're ready to not behave like a child, we can talk. With that, she turned and walked away, disappearing back through the open door. Abeni watched her go, fuming. Child? She'd show her a child. Glancing at the food, she lashed out once more, knocking it back to the floor. Her tantrum didn't last long. Like before, the bowl and plate refilled and returned to the stool. She put her hands to her head in frustration and yelled at the top of her lungs all over again. The rest of the day went by very slowly. The witch, Abeni had decided that was exactly what she was, did return a few times. Once, she bought a small stone jar of drinking water that somehow always stayed cool. She came in another time to leave some fresh clothes another bit of brown cloth to wrap in, and a larger clay jug with water for bathing. Then, just as the sun fell, she stuck in her head one more time. Get you asleep, she said. You will need to rest. Then, almost as an afterthought, oh, and don't mind the wall. Abeni didn't understand that, but as night came on and the room grew dark, the many colorful drawings that covered the wall began to glow. Then they started to move. She gasped, staring in wonder and fright as the drawings jumped and danced, taking on different shapes. Sometimes they formed people or 
animals or creatures that couldn't possibly exist. She thought they might have even been telling a story, though of what she had no idea. She might have asked the witch, but she'd resolved to ignore her altogether and had made it a point to look the other way whenever she entered the room. She made certain to just sit there, keeping her face sullen. Her anger showed no signs of easing, and she had no intention of giving it up. She would outlast this witch. There was, however, the problem of food. Abeni awoke late that night to a loud grumbling. It was her stomach. Curled into a ball, she didn't dare turn to look at the bowl of stew and plate of fufu that were still there. She could smell them. If she saw them too, she might give in, and she'd rather starve than eat any of the witch's food. Morning came, and she hadn't touched a morsel. She dreamt of them, though. At one point, she even thought she'd woken in the middle of the night to see them drawn into the strange walls, dancing foo-foo balls and a stew that begged to be eaten. Now, she snuck glances. Her stomach didn't help growling and begging to be fed. Traitor. As morning stretched into afternoon, it only grew harder to ignore the food and her grumbling belly. She couldn't remember ever being this hungry in her life. The stubborn part of her didn't want any part of the food. The hungry part, the one her stomach ruled, insisted on eating right now. The stubborn part wanted to stand up to the witch. The hungry part said, starving wouldn't hurt the witch any. The two went back and forth that way until the hungry part tried a new tactic. If she was ever going to escape from here, she was determined to do that. She certainly couldn't do so hungry. The stubborn part considered this for a bit, admitting it was a good point. And that was how Abeni found herself eating. She gulped down the stew, made of spicy fish and okra. It was quite probably the best thing she'd ever eaten. Like the witch promised, it was still warm. Hot, in fact, almost burning her tongue. But she was too hungry to care. She licked away every last drop using the fufu to sop it up. In among the jumble of images on the wall, she thought she saw a drawing of a girl rubbing her belly with contentment. She was still sucking the tiniest bits of stew from her fingers when the witch walked in. Her white eyebrows drew together at the empty dishes, but she said nothing. Instead, she gathered them up and left. In moments, she returned with more, setting them atop the, ta the small table. Abani never looked at her, staring elsewhere in silence. It went on like that for a few days. Morning and night, the witch brought food, soups, meats, fruits, and more. Some of the dishes Abani knew, like the mix of beans and spices and the peanut chicken. Other things, all delightfully delicious, she couldn't name. She ate it all, never offering thanks. 
but leaving her bowls piled high. In time, she felt strong enough to walk around the room without getting dizzy. A few more days, and she thought she might be back to herself. The witch seemed to have given up on speaking as well. She left food and clothes and water as needed, then went about her day, all of which was fine by Abeni. From the window, she could see the witch, spent most of her time in her garden, planting and caring for the many things that grew there. It looked like hard work. Once, while hauling some rocks, she glanced up with a look that might have been asking for help. But Abeni turned away. She had no intention of lifting as much as a finger. She'd heard so much about the witch in her village, and now here she was living in her house. If only Fomi could see her now. As always, thoughts of home came with sadness. Sometimes she'd just stare at nothing for a long while, thinking about her brother's jokes, her aunt's doting, or her mother pounding yam. Fomi's pranks... Equolo's smile. She even sometimes saw that silly Sowoki's face. She missed them all. But strangely, she couldn't bring herself to cry. No matter how sad she felt, she hadn't shed a single tear since coming here. It felt like a part of her was gone, taken with her village, leaving an empty place inside. She worried that if she didn't find them soon, that emptiness would grow and swallow her up entirely. So she plotted her escape. The witch sometimes disappeared for a whole day, not returning until sunset. Abeni had no idea where she went and didn't much care. But the second time the old woman did so, she took the opportunity to slip from her room and gaped. She was standing in a hallway that curved in a wide circle. Above her was another floor much the same, and a third above that. Under a high roof covered with what looked like flowers, a thick and colorful blanket at the height of bloom, all along the hallway were doors. Some were tall rectangles of black or brown wood with designs on their surface colorful beadwork, bits of glass, even shells arranged into patterns. Others looked made of stone and were etched with symbols she couldn't understand. At least one door was a wide, round circle, painted a bright yellow. No two were alike, and she thought there might have been dozens. This place was larger than any house she'd ever seen. Even her village's meeting house was tiny compared to this. She glanced back to the room where she'd been staying. There was no door there, and she wondered if she should go back. Was it safe to go wandering about a witch's house? She was certain that in the stories that never ended well, but she was curious despite herself. Plus, she was getting tired of just lying about. If she was going to escape this place, she needed to know something about it. Maybe in these rooms there was even something that could help. Taking a deep breath 
and trying to ignore all the warnings buzzing in her head, she set out. Her hands traced along the doors she passed, feeling their surfaces. She passed several before stopping at a tall black door. A small carving like a face sat in its center, staring out with blank eyes and lips pursed into a slight smile. Gingerly touching a silver handle, she grabbed hold and pushed. The door opened easily as if in invitation. She peeked her head inside before stepping in fully and stared in wonder. The room was bigger than she could have imagined. It extended far into the distance beyond what she could see. And if it had a ceiling, well, she wouldn't know. There was just a shadowy gloom high above, like the room went on forever. That was impossible, of course. Then again, so was what she was looking at. The room was filled with masks, masks of every type. Many were carved of wood, but some of iron or silver or other things. They were in the shapes of people, sometimes with bushy manes or wide, scowling mouths. Some were small enough to fit her face. One that she walked around, carved of black and red wood, was at least three times her size, and she shivered to think of whatever face wore that. There must have been dozens of masks. No. Hundreds all stacked atop each other or laid out in orderly rows. The sight made her think of Harvest Festival, sending a sharp pain of longing through her. Backing out of the room, she closed the door and moved on to another. Behind a red door, she found a room filled with carved wooden stools, all jumbled up in one big heap like a small hill. A narrow green door led to a room of statues, some small enough to fit in her hand, and others so big they towered up into the shadowy ceiling. She never got to see what was behind the round yellow door. She'd only opened it a crack before a howling wind came from inside, blasting her with chill air. She had to use her full weight to close it again, and when she was done, stood shivering, covered in something cold and white that melted to water before her eyes, and she decided that maybe those old stories had been right. The next day that the witch was gone, she was more careful about her exploring. Now, she opened doors gingerly, peeking inside to make certain it was safe. She never saw the round yellow door again or the doors that led to the rooms full of masks or stools or statues. She'd gone to exactly where they'd been only to find them gone, replaced with completely new doors that led to completely new wonders. But none of it was helpful. None of it told her how to escape this place. After a few days, she decided she'd had enough of doors that led to strange rooms. Instead, she stepped through the one that led outside. 
She hadn't been out of the house since she arrived here, but the witch had been gone since morning, and she thought it was safe. Stepping into the sunlight, she blinked at its glare and smiled. It was good to feel the warmth on her skin again. And she took her time walking through the garden, spreading her arms wide so that the tips of her fingers brushed the tall green stalks of grass. More than once, she thought she heard voices, a slight whispering that tickled her ears. But when she looked about, there was no one. Odd. Then again, what about this place wasn't? Still searching for the source of the whispering, she turned back to glance at the house and stopped in her tracks. She was looking at a small, round, earthen building covered in green vines and topped by a straw roof growing with flowers. It was a tiny, rickety-looking thing. Her own home was at least three times its size. But how was that possible? She'd been going from room to room inside the place for days. Some had ceilings so high that she couldn't see where they ended. How could something be big on the inside but small on the outside? Crazy witch house, she muttered, shaking her head. It was two days later. A total of 14 from the markings she kept on the wall behind her bed that she made her first escape attempt. The witch was gone for the day again, so the timing was perfect. She didn't take much, just a few chewy foo-foo balls she'd stashed away. She pushed through the green stalks, which annoyingly clung to her, almost like they were trying to hold her back. Leaving the garden, she made a dash for the forest. She had taken only a few steps inside when she stopped. Turning in a circle, she stared at the trees and bushes that went on without end. And she came to a sudden realization. She had no idea where she was going. For a long moment, she stood there, trying to find a path of some kind, but it was no use. Each direction looked as unfamiliar as the other. With a heavy heart, she turned and tramped back to the witch's house, feeling defeated. The failed attempt left Abeni even more dejected. She'd really believed she might be able to find her way home, but she was no hunter. She'd never wandered more than a few steps from her village. The witch had taken her a long way and nothing here was familiar. She couldn't just wander in the forest. She needed a better plan than that. Yet no matter how hard she thought on it, she couldn't come up with a way to find her way home. Each day that passed, she grew more hopeless and her nights were little better. Abeni's dreams were no longer about food. Instead, she relived that terrible day. The dark gloom and black ropes were there. So were the storm women. The woman with no color stood at their head, laughing as they burned everything and stole everyone away. In the middle of it all, 
the man in the goat horn mask played his song as all the children danced in the flames. It was on a night of such frightening dreams that Abeni came awake with a start. Her night tunic stuck to her skin with sweat. Sitting up, she swung her feet over the edge of her bed, so the witch called this thing, and sat trying to push the nightmare away. She followed the moving images on the wall, which surprisingly calmed her after bad dreams. But whenever she closed her eyes, the frightening memories were there again. She wouldn't be getting any more sleep tonight. Sighing, she turned to gaze out the window. The sounds of the forest drifted into her room. Chirps, howls, and cries. Sometimes she'd awaken to find the witch sitting in her garden and staring up at the night sky as if looking for something. On a few occasions, she would even sing, though Abeni could never make out the words. Tonight, however, the witch wasn't out in her garden, and Abeni had an urge to take in some of the night herself. Slipping from her room, she tiptoed across the smooth ground ignoring the new doors that had sprouted up and made her way outside. Striding through the stalks of tall grass that swayed gently, she touched them with the tips of her fingers. The familiar whispering came as usual, buzzing in her ears. She stood, still straining to listen, but beyond slight bits of laughter, she couldn't understand anything. Giving up, she shook her head, muttering for the hundredth time about the strangeness of this place. Finding a patch of earth, she sat down, not caring if her clothes got dirty. The witch would bring her new ones in the morning anyway. She couldn't remain like this, a prisoner. Somewhere out there was her village, and she believed, needed to believe, that others had escaped. It wasn't impossible, she insisted, arguing against her own doubts. She just needed to find a way to get closer to home so that anyone looking could find her. Amid her thoughts, her eyes drifted up to the sky. There were stars everywhere. It looked like someone had thrown glittering jewels across a wide black cloth. They shimmered and shined subjects in the kingdom of the moon spirit who today covered one side of his face because he was in a bad mood. Abeni smiled, recalling the stories from her village about the stars in the night. She found the ones said to be a herd of galloping bison. Behind were two bright stars that were the lions chasing them. A long set of twisting stars was a river and the three stars that made a point above them formed a giant crocodile that lived there. His jaws were so big that if he opened them, they could swallow the whole moon and make the night dark forever. Luckily, the moon had a protector, the hunter. She looked to the familiar pattern of stars. The hunter wore his hunting gear he held up a spear whose tip was the brightest star in the sky. The crocodile feared the hunter 
and his bright spear. So he kept to the river and didn't bother the moon spirit or his subjects. And Bani sat, gazing at them, surprised that she remembered those old stories so well. They were for children, after all, but she was forgetting something. It nagged at her like an itch she couldn't reach. When she remembered, she jumped up to her feet. Her father had told her the story of the hunter among the stars, who all hunters looked to for good fortune. Most important was his spear. What was it her father used to say? She racked her brain to remember, and his voice came to her in answer. In the forest, at night, it is easy to get turned around, but any hunter who has lost their way can always look up to find the tip of the great spear that points home. All this time, she'd been trying to find a way home, and it was out here, all along, in a children's story. All at once, she started thinking, planning how this might work. She'd finally found a way of escaping from this witch, and she intended to take it. Abani's poor little traumatized 12-year-old mind, body, and spirit cannot fathom staying in the witch's house. Although she's seeing it as a prison, the witch has not harmed her in any way. She has not even raised her voice at her. She's been patient, understanding. She's fed her food that's um, healing her body and given her water to drink and water to bathe with and fresh, clean clothing and a comfortable place to rest and sleep. She hasn't even asked her to help her out in the garden or, or help clean up or help do chores around the house or she hasn't treated her like a prisoner. Not yet. It's been two weeks and she's just I don't know. Maybe she's just letting her um, her captive <laughs> be um, get all the way well. Maybe that's what Abani's thinking. But so far, she hasn't been treated like a prisoner. But who can blame her for wanting to try to get back to her her village, her home, some kind of way? Even though. <sighs> I doubt if there's anything left after what the storm women and the goat-mashed man did to her people. But um, I love how she recalled, remembered, recalled the stories from her childhood. There's a lot of lessons. Like I spoke about Hansel and Gretel, but um, there are more than just European stories there. All cultures have stories, childhood stories that teach children um, lessons about life in general. And when those lessons stick, they can be helpful, just like how Abani remembered the stories about the skies, the skies, the stars in the skies, and the way she could find her way back home. So hopefully... It turns out to be, you know, mm, 
maybe everybody didn't get snatched up. You gotta have hope. She has that childlike hope in her. And she ain't scared of that forest. Can you imagine? Let's see what happens. Chapter 6. Into the Forest. It took a few more days to set her plans into motion. Unlike her last attempt, this time she'd be prepared. She stashed away fufu, bits of fruit, and other edibles behind her bed, leaving her plate empty. It meant that some days her stomach grumbled with hunger, but she steeled herself to it. Food wouldn't be enough. She'd need something to drink. It was as she was pondering this while walking in the house that she noticed a brown door. New, of course, only it was slightly ajar. That was different. Her curiosity getting the better of her, she moved close to peek inside and stared. It was full of gourds, all dried and hollowed out and of every conceivable size. There were some that could fit in her hand and great big ones she could easily crawl into. She took a small one and filled it with water. There was one problem solved. Now she just had to find a way out. It was one thing to leave the house in the day when the witch was gone. It was another to try to sneak out at night. The witch was always here at night. When she wasn't sitting in her garden, she could be heard walking her house, wandering in and out of those strange rooms. It was on the fourth night, as Benny lay in her bed watching the pictures on her wall shift about, that she heard the witch walking about her house. Unlike past nights, however, it didn't sound like she went into any of the rooms or outside. Instead, her footsteps disappeared into the distance. Abeni waited. The witch had been gone most of the day, not returning until just before sunset. After bringing some food, she'd yawned loudly as if tired. Letting some time pass, Abeni crept from bed into the darkened house. The witch's room was just down the hall. Like hers, it had no door. She tiptoed towards it, heart pounding to peek inside. If she was caught, she wondered what the witch would do. She smiled in relief at what she saw. The witch's room was nothing fancy, just a rounded space with a high bed. Right now, she lay atop it, fast asleep. Whatever she'd done today, it had left her exhausted. With luck, she probably wouldn't wake until morning. Benny didn't waste time. Returning to her room, she pulled out the bundle of hidden food and the filled gourd. Hurriedly, she got out of her night tunic and wrapped herself with one of the thicker fabrics that the witch had provided. Her own gold dress she folded neatly around her jewelry. She placed everything, food and clothing, into a bag she'd spirited away. The gourd with water she hung at her waist. When she finished, she slipped into her sandals and slung the bag across her shoulder. She was set to leave when the pictures on the wall caught her attention. They were flickering quickly, showing a girl running through a forest. 
all about her things shifted with big eyes and even bigger mouths until the girl was swallowed by darkness. And Benny gave a start. Was that supposed to be her? For a moment she shrank back, fearful. Then, catching herself, she shook her head. No, it wasn't real. Just some pictures on a wall. She wasn't going to listen to this witch house. She was leaving. Now. Doing her best to ignore the images, she left the room, walking past all the strange doors and slipping by the slumbering witch into the waiting night. The warm night air blew soft against her skin as she stood outside. Looking to the sky, she found the hunter easily and followed the length of his spear to the bright star at its tip, looking in the direction it pointed, right into the heart of the forest. Home. She was going home. With a deep breath, she took her first steps. She didn't run through the garden, fearful she might cause too much noise, but she walked as fast as she could. As she passed the tall grass stalks, they again stuck to her, and she was certain this time they were trying to hold her back. She had to put up a small fight to get through, shoving and pushing them aside. When she finally cleared free of them, she turned back to glare. I certainly won't miss any of you, she whispered sharply. Walking a bit further, she left the odd garden behind and came right up to the forest's edge. It looked different at night, bigger and darker than she expected. And it was filled with all sorts of unsettling forest sounds, growls and cries and howls. Remembering the pictures on the wall made her hesitant and her stomach fluttered nervously. No, none of that. Her father was a warrior. She'd watched her mother fight with a sword. She could be brave too, like them. Besides, who knew when she'd get another chance like this? Pushing down her fears, she took one step into the forest, then another, and several more. Soon she was in the thick of it, surrounded on all sides by dark, bushy shapes. A tremor of panic went up her back, but she quickly looked up again and breathed a sigh of relief. The hunter's spear still shined in the night, as big and bright as ever, a beacon to guide her home. She set out on a brisk walk, never once looking back at the witch's house she left behind. There was no trail or path to follow in the forest, just lots of green intent on getting in her way. She stepped over plants, pushed through thick bush, and made her way around trees. It was hard to see in the dark, and sometimes low-hanging branches snagged her hair and thorns scratched her skin. It felt as at first like she and the forest were fighting, and she wasn't certain she was going to win. But things got better as she went. Her eyes got used to the dark. Or at least she could see things more clearly, and she was able to watch her footing to avoid roots that poked up from the ground in places where the earth was uneven. She settled into a steady pace, glancing up every now again at the hunter to make certain she was going the right way. 
When she got thirsty or hungry, she drank from the gourd and nibbled on chewy balls of fufu. She was too excited to be tired. She passed her time just thinking, mostly about her village, imagining who might be waiting when she returned. People had probably started rebuilding the burned houses by now. She couldn't wait to see everyone again. She would see them again. She just knew it. A song came to mind, and she began to hum. It was the hunter's chant. Her father and uncle sang it whenever they went out into the forest, asking the spirits to see them home again. She was still humming when she heard a rustling. Abeni looked up. The sound had come from the trees. There hadn't been much to see in the forest, just a few night birds, funny-looking bugs, and one time a red-haired monkey who glared as if she didn't belong here. But there was nothing there now, just the leafy forest canopy that swayed idly in the night breeze. Stop being so scared, she muttered to herself. Shaking off her unease, she picked up the hunter's chant again. However, she hadn't gone more than a few steps when the rustling came back only louder. This time she stopped. That hadn't been in her head. And louder meant closer. Squinting up at the trees, she searched their leafy branches, thinking to find some small forest animal up there, but still there was nothing. Now that she thought on it, there was no sound at all. Abeni listened carefully to the night. There had been noises enough since she entered the forest. Bugs chirping, birds calling, frogs croaking, but now there was nothing. Not a single chirp or call or croak. The whole forest had gone suddenly quiet so that she could only hear her own breathing. She was thinking of how strange this was when she saw the eyes. Abeni went absolutely still, staring up at two red eyes that gazed out from the trees like pieces of wood left in a fire until they glowed. She bit her tongue to stop from yelping and crouched quickly behind a bush. The eyes hadn't seen her. Had they? She stayed hidden for a long moment, waiting, dreading at any moment a pair of glowing red eyes would appear right above her. When nothing happened, she crept to the edge of the bush and peeked out, fearing what those eyes might belong to. At first, she thought she was looking at a humongous bird, all covered in black, but squinting, she saw what she'd mistaken for feathers was actually fur. The creature, and it was definitely a creature, had wings that were all wrinkled with bony hooks at the tops like small hands. And it didn't have a beak. Instead, there was a snub nose and sharp pointed ears. It clung to the side of a tree with curved black claws sniffing the air while its red eyes searched the night. A bat. A bandy realized she was looking at a bat 
Only who'd ever heard of a bat big enough to carry off a goat? She gawped at the size of it. Two goats, maybe three. The thing was as big as a water buffalo. A sudden dreadful thought came to her. It could probably carry her off. She sunk lower behind the bush, trying to hide herself, and noticed something even more startling. There were wide straps of leather wrapped around the giant bat's belly. They led to what looked like a seat where a man sat. At least she thought at first that he was a man, only now that she looked him over, he was small, no taller than her, in fact, and dressed all in black that blended with the night. As he turned, she glimpsed his face and sucked in a breath that was definitely not a man's face. It was painted red, with lips that curled down and eyes that glowed as fiery bright as the bat's. His ears were pointed and pierced with gold hoops. For the first time, she noticed that the bat had gold hoops in its own ears. One thick loop hung from its nose, too. Abani's heart pounded as she stared at the two. She'd heard stories in her village of all sorts of monsters, but none of them included giant bats or men that were not men with glowing eyes, and none of those stories were supposed to be real. They certainly weren't supposed to be in her forest. She had no idea what these things were or what they were doing here, but she wanted to be far away from them. Still crouched, she started to back away, hoping to find some other part of the forest where there were no strange red-faced riders or giant bats. She glanced to the sky, finding the hunter. As long as she could still see the spear, she'd be fine. She just needed to... A slow hiss froze her in place. It came from right above her. Every part of her screamed not to look up, not to see what hovered above. But slowly, she lifted her head and felt her belly quiver as her eyes made out the large black shape. It was another giant bat. This one hung upside down by its black claws, long, sharp things that curled around a thick branch, and it was staring right at her with those glowing red eyes. Its rider twisted in his seat, peering down. At seeing her, his lips curled upward in a smile, showing sharp yellow teeth. A Benny stared back. She was shaking all over but couldn't move. It was like her legs had grown roots that pinned her to the ground. As she watched, the bat opened its mouth wide to show long white fangs, then shrieked. The high-pitched sound echoed into the night, jolting her from where she stood. She shrieked back in terror, then ran. Abaney fled headlong through the forest. Above the giant bat leapt into the air. It was joined by the first, the two soaring above the canopy. She could hear their leathery wings beating after her, creating a wind that buffeted her like a small storm. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Claws snatched and tore at branches, showering her with bits of splintered wood and leaves. Bushes tore at her dress, and fresh scratches stung her skin as she crashed through them. Twice, twice. 
She stumbled, almost going down but catching herself. The third time, her foot caught on something, a root perhaps, ripping her sandal off and sending her flying. She tumbled across the forest floor before scrambling onto her back just in time to see one of the bats diving down through the trees right for her. Branches snapped like twigs as it came, barreling through the canopy with a fierce cracking. Its bony, curled claws were opened wide, ready to wrap around her and snatch her up. She found now that she was too scared to even scream. Suddenly there was a light, a flash so bright it lit up the forest like it was day. A banny was blinded by the glare as everything went white. The bat shrieked again, but this sounded like a cry of pain. It beat its leathery wings hard, pummeling her with wind to pull back from the light. For a while, all she could hear were those beating wings like drums in her ears. Then they began to grow faint, becoming weaker until she could no longer hear them at all. The light vanished, and she had to blink several several times before she could see. Someone was out there, Walking right up to her, she stared open-mouthed, able to form only one word. You! Me, the witch replied. Wow. So, is this what happens when you try to escape the witch's house? But the witch seemed so chill. She was in her garden, she was cooking and cleaning and exploring like going through her you know her house or witchy poo stuff and all of that oh my gosh or did the witch just save a Benny again uh huh this book is good right told you chapter 7 home again a Benny came to her feet stumbling back a few steps. Out for a night stroll? The witch asked, scowling. Abeni fumbled to reply. You followed me. It was all she could think to say. The witch let out a long, hmm. I came after you, she corrected, jabbing with her gnarled and knotted staff. Fortunate for you that I did. Did you really expect to outrun Moesha raiders on Sasa Bonsam? Abeni stared. Mo who? Sasa what? You mean the riders on the giant bats? Her eyes went nervously to the skies, expecting them to return, swooping down on them at any minute. What were those things? Why did they chase me? Moesha. On their black steeds, the Sasabonsam, the witch repeated, as if that explained everything. A hunting party. And like a mouse out where it doesn't belong, you make easy prey. A fine thing, too, if you'd ended up in their cooking pots. Abeni shuddered. Cooking pots? She looked up again to the skies. That danger has passed, the witch said. I've sent them to hunt. Elsewhere, there was a frown, her gaze going vacant as she muttered to herself. Though, when have Moesha riders ever ranged so far from their hunting grounds? Most unusual. 
What next? Zimwi pulled from their caves and sent up from the south. Her eyes fluttered, and she returned a scolding gaze back to Abeni. Lifting a long finger, she wagged it hard. But there are more things in this forest, girl, that could spell your end. You're not in your little village any longer. The world is bigger and more dangerous than you know. With another humph, she turned about. Now come along and let's return home. A part of Abaney wanted very much to follow the witch, who had already begun walking. But she hadn't run away without a good reason. No, she said. The witch turned about, raising one white eyebrow. Abaney almost stepped back under that stare, but she thought of her mother, holding that sword to defy the storm woman and held her ground. I'm going back to my village. I'm going back to see if anyone's still there. I don't care if a hundred monsters chase me. I'm going to get there. The witch glared at her for a long moment before shaking her head with a sigh. Stubborn child, she muttered. You insist on doing this foolish thing? Abaney nodded. Yes, and I'm not a child. <laughs> the witch snorted at that. And if I force you back, you'll just find another time to sneak off. Probably, Abaney answered. Then finding more courage, yes. The witch threw up a hand in exasperation. Cha! What have I done to be cursed with such a hard-headed girl? Fine, but I will take you, so you might arrive with your skin. Abaney released a held breath. You'll come with me? The witch lifted a white eyebrow. You would prefer I left you here? Abaney glanced around at the forest, which seemed darker and more foreboding than ever. She didn't like the witch. She didn't trust the witch, but she thought she disliked the idea of being out here, alone, even more. She nodded once. The witch just gave another humph, gathering a shawl more tightly around her shoulders. Well, she growled, already walking off, don't stand there like a monkey waiting for fruit to ripen. Move! And you dropped this. Abeni caught something thrown away. Her sandal. She slipped it on and ran to keep up. The witch kept a surprisingly fast pace. Abeni ached and stung all over, and one of her legs had a slight limp, but she didn't complain or ask the witch to slow down. The two walked in silence as the forest returned to normal with all its forest sounds. They had walked for some time when the witch stopped before a sloping, grassy mound between some trees. Abani had to look close to see it was the mouth of a cave. So well hidden, she might have passed it up. We stop here for now, the witch said. Why, Abani asked, suspicious. She'd kept an eye on the hunter's spear, still visible in the sky, to make certain they were moving in the right direction. But the witch could still be trying to trick her. Because my body is Old, the witch snapped, and yours is too battered to go on without rest. Turning, she bent down and ducked into the small cave, her voice echoing from inside. 
And there's the rain. Rain? No sooner had Abaini thought the word than thick, fat droplets came falling from the sky. Cold, pounding rain soaked her in moments, as if some cloud spirit had overturned a jug on the world. With a squeal, she ran for the shelter of the cave, squeezing herself inside. It shouldn't have surprised her that, much like the witch's house, the cave was bigger on the inside than it looked on the outside, roomy and with a rounded ceiling high above. The witch herself was already seated, cross-legged before a bundle of sticks. Touching them with the tip of her staff, she started a fire that was soon crackling. Abani walked to sit on the other side, shivering and damp from the rain and thankful for the warmth. As she watched, the witch unslung a bag from her shoulder, a sack woven of plain brown cloth. Reaching inside, she amazingly pulled out an unspilled bowl of steaming soup, complete with a spoon, and began to take slow slurping sips. As Abani stared in astonishment, she remembered the fufu balls in her own bag. She fished them out, only to find they'd gotten soggy. Grimacing, she nibbled at them anyway. Catching her stare, the witch stopped her slurping and grudgingly reached into her brown cloth bag to pull out a second bowl of hot soup. With a spoon, she slid it across the ground to Abani without a word, then returned to eating. Abani licked her lips, accepting the bowl. Thank you, she said. It was the first time she'd thanked the witch for anything. Something about that made her face heat in embarrassment. The witch answered with a grunt, and the two of them sipped and slurped without speaking. When they finished, the witch just as impossibly pulled out two long, thick blankets, handing one to Abani. No need to walk in the rain. We'll sleep until it's done, then be on our way. Abani wanted to protest, but she was tired, and her body ached as the sound of rain and the warm food in her belly made her eyelids heavy. She promised herself she would only sleep for a few moments, just enough to... Abani awoke at a snort. She sat up quick, realizing she was the one who had snorted. Awake, the witch said. She sat at the cave's mouth, peering outside. Good, we can go now. Never turning around, she stood up and ducked out of the cave, disappearing. Abani jumped up from her blanket, rolling it up and hurriedly following. When she poked her head out of the cave, she squinted. Sunlight. The rain had stopped, but she'd slept clear through to the morning. Looking up, she saw with dismay that the hunter was gone. The stars of night replaced by a blue sky still tinged with the bronze, orange, and yellow of dawn. Do not fret, the witch said, seeing her face. She opened her small bag, beckoning for Abani to drop in the blanket, which she did, not even bothering to ask how something so big could fit inside. I know the way, the witch went on, closing the bag shut. They walked for a while in the early morning, and Abeni was surprised to find how rested she now felt. Her limp and aches were gone. She looked at her palms. The scratches and cuts there were gone too. A hand went to touch her side, which had been sore from a bruise and felt nothing. Magic. It had to be. 
Her eyes went to the witch, not sure how to feel. She was still contemplating this when there was a familiar sound. Water, but not rain. Running water, pushing through some tall reeds, they emerged to find a sight that made Abeni's breath catch. A river. She ran hurriedly to the bank, excitement welling up. This was the same river she had crossed with the witch. Somewhere on the other side was her village. But there was one problem. How will we cross? She looked to the witch, hesitant. Will we run like before? No one is chasing us this time, girl, the witch replied. We will use the boat. Boat? Before Abeni could ask, the witch lifted her chin and nodded at something bobbing near the water's edge. A small boat, painted green green and almost blending with the tall trees, the tall reeds that surrounded it. They had barely sat down before Abeni was sent flying at a sudden lurch, landing on her back. The witch glanced down with an amused stare. Grabbing hold of the boat's sides, she hoisted herself up and looked out over the edge. They were moving fast across the water. No one rode, but they were moving. There was another lurch when the boat slid up onto the dirt bank before going still. Abeni didn't waste a minute. Jumping out and looking down a path cut into a grass field, she'd been here before. This was where villagers like Fomi's family came to fish. This was the path home. She set out, not waiting for the witch. Things were becoming familiar. An oddly shaped tree here, a rise in the land there, and a sound came in the distance. Chuck, 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 chuck. A penny almost shouted as she broke into a run. She knew that sound. Someone was pounding yam. Maybe she dared hope it was even her mother. As the tops of straw-covered homes came into view between tall trees, her legs pushed harder. She entered her village at a full run, laughing giddily. She had done it. She was back home. Her laughter faded as her eyes took in her surroundings and her smile slid away. The houses she had glimpsed between the trees were intact only on one side. Now she could see where they were eaten away by fire. Charred remains showed where straw roofs had burned and earthen walls had been torched. Some were just mounds of ash, unrecognizable as homes. She walked between them silently, putting names to the families that had lived in each before stopping at the crumbling ruins of the village's granary. The wooden gate was ajar. It swung loose in a slight wind, repeatedly hitting a wooden bowl that lay discarded nearby. Chuck, 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 chuck. Abeni stared at both for a while before walking deeper into the village, drawn to the place most familiar to her. Home. The straw roof had fallen in, giving the house the look of a man who had lost his hat. Hesitating, she went to the door and peeked inside. Here, it barely looked like her home at all. Black marks on the walls showed how high the flames had reached. Bits of the straw roof were scattered all over, 
pots and gourds were smashed, spilling all her mother's spices, and there was a sharp smell, so smoky and pungent she could taste it on her tongue. Abeni pulled her head back out. Turning from her house, she started walking again. What she'd just seen should have horrified her, but she didn't feel anything as she wandered the deserted streets like a ghost. Here and there, she recalled things. The fire pit of the blacksmith. The house where women spun cloth. The place where the chief elder heard disputes. The meeting house, or what was left of it. In front of where the meeting house once stood, there was a curious thing. A spear. The sharp point planted into the ground. Dangling from its top was a long strip of black cloth painted with what looked like an orange teardrop, fiery like the sun. Nearby was a pile of twisted and charred wood mingled with bits of metal and shell. Abeni had to look closer to make out what it was. Masks, drums, costumes, they were from the harvest festival. Depictions of the spirits her people held important. Some were newly created, others old and passed down through the ages. Items she would not have dared touch. All of it had been tossed aside and set on fire like garbage, as if all they had believed was worthless and could be so easily erased. The screams, the smoke, the living ropes, the man in the mask of goat horns, Everything about that day came back to her all at once. No one had escaped. Everyone was gone. It hit like a blow to her middle, doubling her over. And Benny's legs felt suddenly weak, and she dropped to her knees, deep inside in the pit of her stomach, which she now curled around, something fought its way up, Pushing to make its way out, it sent her breathing deep and fast, and when it reached her mouth, it came in a long, shuddering breath. Tears. The first she'd said. The first she'd shed since that awful day filled her eyes, and she cried. It came like a river that had been held back too long. She sobbed in great gulps of air that shook her whole body. Stop it. Stop your stupid crying, her voice trembled. What did you think you'd find here? She balled her hands into fists, digging nails into her palms until it hurt. She wanted to hit something, wanted to shout and scream until there was nothing left. She cried long and hard, and she hated herself for it. There is no shame in tears. A voice came. Abeni jumped up, whirling to find the witch. If you held it all inside much longer, she went on, you would hollow yourself out like a gourd. She settled onto the ground grunting at the effort and crossing her legs. Mothers shed tears as they birth children. 
The bravest warriors shed tears in battle. The young mourn for the old that pass away, and the old for those they must leave behind. Even spirits shed tears. Do not find fault with yours. Urbani wiped at her cheeks, not sure she understood. You have questions, the witch said. Her dark eyes stared knowingly. Questions, I think that you are at last ready to ask. I will answer as I can. But if there are many, I suggest you sit. This could take some time. The witch was right. She did have questions. Things she wanted to know but had been too frightened to ask before. Sitting down, she ran through them, uncertain where to begin. Start with the one that confuses you the most, the witch offered. Abaini thought on that, settling finally on one word. Why? Her voice came hoarse. She gestured to the heap of burned masks and her destroyed village. The witch gripped her staff tight. She had laid the long piece of wood across her lap and her dark brown hands tightened about it as she spoke. Beyond this forest, in lands you've never heard of, there's a war. War. Abani repeated the word in her head. She remembered the day the witch had come speaking to the grown-ups about a war. What does my village have to do with a war? We've never done anything to anyone. War is like a fire, the witch answered. It starts with a spark in one place. Stamp it out and you may stop it. But... Let it keep burning or feed it and it grows. There's no telling where it will go when unleashed or who it will strike. Your village was hidden from that war. And while so, you were safe. I regret you could not stay hidden longer. But who? Abani pressed. She wanted answers she could understand who started this war? The witch scowled, etching deep lines in her face. He names himself the witch priest, she said. Behold his standard. She gestured to the strip of cloth attached to the spear, the one with the teardrop painted like the sun. The eternal living flame which will set the world of fire. He has built himself a throne and sends his armies across the land. He claims to bring freedom from the spirits and the gods, from rulers and priests. He urges the people to turn from them, to accept his one rule and his one wisdom. Through this, they will find peace, she snorted, leaning forward to tap beneath one eye. But I see through his deceptions. I know what he is truly after. 
What? Abaney asked. What is it that he wants? More power, the witch stated hotly. It is all their kind ever wants. Power to control, to dominate, to make all bow to their will. And they are never content. So now, this bringer of freedom has declared war upon all who do not accept his rule. To his side, he calls those who are easily led, whose minds can be bent to his will by awe, fear, or whispered promises. They come to him, answering his summons. She paused, her eyes intent. You saw some of them this very night. Abani shuddered. You mean the riders on the giant bats? The witch nodded. Moesha raiders do not normally hunt so far beyond their lands. They have been promised spoils by the witch priest and now fit their great winged sasa. Sasabansam for war beneath this banner. Abani readied her next question. Those storm women, the ones who attacked my village, they followed this witch priest too? The witch nodded again. They must be demons like the Imoe. She struggled at the unfamiliar word. Emoetia, the witch replied. She shook her head. Emoetia are not demons. Not men, true, but not demons. Some can even be pleasant. But you said they eat people, Abeni reminded. Well, yes, there's that. The witch moved on as if people eating was a matter of for debate. In any case, the women who attacked your village are little different from you. Abani frowned, disbelieving. But their eyes and the way they moved. The witch priest is a great seducer, the witch said. Those women were warriors from a land far to the west. Guardians to a king once. His daughters pledged to the sword. Then the witch priest came to them, promising immortality bestowing upon them gifts for their fealty, which they accepted. He has renamed them now his Isat, his fire, from an old tongue from the east. But the woman with no color, Abeni pressed, that face still haunted her, even awake. She has to be a demon. Her skin, the witch shook her head again. Just another mind, corrupted by her new master. She was born with such skin, to a mother and father with skin no different than your own. Seeing Abeni's skeptical face, the witch nodded. Yes, it is a rare thing, but it has happened among your people. It is even said those born with such skin are closer to the spirit world, though there's no real truth in that either. They are only who they are, nothing more. Abani listened, trying to make 
sense of things. It seemed that there was a lot about this world she didn't know about or understand. The bigness of it was overwhelming and made her feel small. Looking to the witch, she bit her lip. Her next question frightened her the most. It took a great effort just to say the words. What happened to my family? To my village? My friends? An unsettled look across the witch's face and she gripped her staff tighter. When she spoke, her voice came low, almost at a whisper. Beyond this forest, and farther still, there is a thing called a sea. A river so large you can't see where it ends. So much water it covers the land and you can watch the sun sink into it. Abeni's eyebrows rose trying to imagine it. Could there really be such a place? From across this sea come the ghost ships, great canoes, bigger than houses, guided by wraiths. The witch, the witch, the witch priest has made some bargain with these foul spirits to whom he barters the living. What he receives in return, I do not know, but he sends out his servants to capture fresh souls to feed this dog trade. The witch's eyes fixed grimly on Abeni. I have seen them in dreams. Ships that carry hundreds in their bellies. I have glimpsed the wraiths that guide them. With bodies little more than mist. Like white smoke that walks. I have seen them take the living and make them into wraiths like themselves. Whole villages have been emptied and sent to them. Like yours. Abeni listened in horror. Ghost ships? Wraiths that stole people away? But what do they do with them? What do these wraiths want? The witch shook her head. Only those taken by the ghost ships can say for certain. And they never return. Abeni sat stunned. Silence. Her family, everyone she had ever known was gone forever? Traded away to these ghost ships the way goats were traded at market? How could such a thing be? How could no one have ever told her? Another thought came. My friends, the storm women didn't take them there was someone else, the man in the mask of goat horns and that flute with his song. Did he take them to these ghost ships too? She swallowed. Is he this witch priest? The witch's face became unyielding stone for a moment. She seemed to weigh something before shaking her head. That one, I do not know. But he is not the witch priest. Merely another servant gifted power with that foul song. He has stolen the children of your village away to another place, though I cannot say why. Abani remembered her friends all walking to the man, 
standing about him and swaying. She could still see Fomi's blank face. She couldn't remember at all how the song went, but she could recall how it made her feel, like it was calling her to see the most wonderful thing ever. We all dreamt about a song, she said absently. The witch's eyebrows rose in question. The night before, Abeni explained, we all heard a song in our dreams that we couldn't remember. Do you think it might have been the same one of this man with the goat horn mask and his flute? The witch scowled. Perhaps it is a foul magic that would steal into the dreams of children. There was a woman's voice too, Abeni said, recalling the memories she'd buried away. She was crying. He has taken the children, the children of night. The witch stared back with an expression that might have been surprised. It appears many strange things occurred that night, she murmured. Abeni wasn't certain what to make of that answer. She wasn't even certain it was an answer. Where are my friends, she pressed. Where did that man take them? The witch shook her head. Their path is lost to me, somewhere far beyond my power. Abeni's mind swirled. Why had this happened to them? What had her village done to deserve it? Her frustration and confusion quickly turned to anger. It flared up, wanting to lash out, seeking someone to hurt. You let it happen, she accused the witch. You could have stopped them. You can do magic, but you just let everyone be taken. Why didn't you stop it? The witch flinched as if the words hurt. Then she straightened and glared back. I did what I could, she said between bare teeth. I told your people to leave this place, to go deeper into the forest. I gave warnings. I sent visions. I even walked their dreams, but they wouldn't listen. Do you think I wouldn't have spirited everyone away if I could? Her hands gripped tight about her staff, stretching her skin taut over her bony knuckles, closing her eyes. She took a deep breath. When she spoke again, her voice was calm but tired. In the end, there was nothing I could do. Abani listened. It was the first time the witch had shown emotion over what had happened. The first time she showed that she cared. So the dream we all had about the song and the woman crying, that wasn't you? The witch shook her head. No, that was something else. Abani sighed. Maybe you should have sent us some visions like you sent the grown-ups, she whispered. Maybe you should have warned the children, too. The witch regarded her for a moment. Perhaps. The two sat in a long stretch of silence. Abeni watched as beams of sunlight flooded the burnt-out houses as if searching for the missing people. The deep sadness filled her again, but she pushed back the tears this time. Why did my mother give me away to you? She spoke hurriedly, fearing that if she didn't get it out now, she might never dare ask again. I saw the two of you talking. I heard you. She had to choose between me or my brother. Why me? Was she angry with me? 
the witch's eyes rounded. Angry? No, child. Your mother did what she did to protect you. She understood what was to come that day. The choice she made to save you and not your brother, that was not an easy one. No mother should ever have to make such a choice. Aunt Benny stared back in surprise. Her mother had given her to the witch to save her? Is that why you came that day? For me? I came for a child. I made an agreement long ago with your village. I would look over them, and one day they would give me a child when I asked. That was an odd agreement. Aunt Benny paused. So you didn't know it would be me. I'm not special. The witch shifted slightly, fidgeting with her shawl. I had a vision the night before I arrived, she said at last, of a girl. That girl turned out to be you, but I didn't come seeking you out, she added hastily as Abaini's eyes rounded. Whatever forces are at work in this world, they brought you to me. That makes you special, I think, in your own way. The thought that she'd survived when so many others hadn't didn't make Abeni feel special at all. It only made her feel guilty and sad. I miss them, she said, a deep longing in her voice. The witch's eyes softened. I miss them as well. You have seen me in my garden, sitting at night. Do you know what I sing? It is the song of this village, of each person born into it. I remember them all. There's even a place for you, little Rainbringer. She stared out at the burned and emptied houses. They tried to destroy this place. Vanish your people. Make it as if you never were. Her voice turned defiant. But I have kept their memories. That they could not take from me. Aunt Benny stared at the witch in wonder. I, I want to hear the song, she said at once. Will you sing it to me? The witch raised an eyebrow. It's hard to sing for someone who doesn't listen, who sits sullenly in her room, who runs off into the forest at night. Abeni winced, recalling her rude and terrible behavior. She had been blaming the witch for what had happened, but she'd had it all wrong. Her eyes went momentarily to the dark banner with the fiery flame, this was all someone else's doing. I'm sorry, she said, then worked up her nerve before venturing a question. Are you a witch? The old woman drew up indignantly. And if I am, I've known a few witches in my time, some admittedly unpleasant, but a few were decent enough. <laughs> But no, I'm not a witch. I'm an old woman who lives in the forest. It makes people think all sorts of things. 
Abeni breathed a sigh of relief, though something in that answer seemed only part right. Not a lie, but not the whole either. Why did you make this agreement with my village? She asked. Why do you need children? A child, the woman broke in. She held up a finger. Only one. Only one then, Abeni corrected herself. But why do you need me? Because I am old. And old people sometimes need help. She seemed annoyed at the question. Anything else? Would you care to know how the stars are born and die in the heavens? Where babies come from? Or perhaps the meaning of existence? Abeni shook her head. How old did this old woman think she was that she didn't know where babies came from? <clears throat> she was surprised to feel the corners of her mouth tug up in a small, spi- small smile despite her sadness. Oh, there was definitely something off about that answer. Not a lie, but again, not the whole either. Still, she decided to let that go for now. Grown-ups always seem to keep secrets. Good, the old woman said. When you're ready, we can start our walk home. Home, Abeni thought. She gazed around the deserted village. That was no longer here. She came to her feet and walked up to stare at the black cloth with the painted flame hanging from the spear. Grabbing hold of it, she felt the rough fabric before tearing it away. Her first intent was to rip it to shreds or stamp it into the ground. Instead, for reasons she couldn't quite say, she rolled up the banner and tucked it into her bag next to her gold birthday dress and jewelry. The old woman regarded this curiously, but said nothing. I'm ready, Abeni said. But why are we walking? Can't you just do some magic, fly us back? You know how to fly? The old woman asked sourly. No? Then we walk. She stood up, using her staff, muttering about ridiculous requests. I don't know your name, Abeni said, coming to join her. Asha, the old woman replied. Abeni nodded, remembering now. But she certainly couldn't call her that. Not someone her age. Auntie Asha, then, she decided. If it pleases you. Abeni felt it did. You say you've been looking over my village since it was first founded. That would make you how old? Very old, Auntie Asha replied tartly. Abeni felt another smile forming. That was probably the best answer she'd get. Auntie Asha, she asked teasingly, where do babies come from? The older woman groaned and Abeni managed a real smile now. Oh, she had many more questions than that. So it turns out that the old woman does not claim to be a witch. She did not come to harm the child. She just came to get a child when she knew that the village was going to go through what it was about to go through. And she knew she couldn't do anything about it. So she wanted to not only preserve 
a young child, which was an extension of the village, which meant that although those people came to decimate the village, that one child who grew up there and would be its memory and would be its lineage would keep it going in some ways. Um, But also because she was an old woman and she could use some help. Not that Abani had been any help over the time that she was with the old woman, just being a stubborn child. But the old woman, oh my goodness, what a heart she has. The patience she showed the traumatized child. Um, She saved her again in the forest. The care that she's given this this young child that's not her own, but she's treating her like as if she's her own. She has love, great love for the village. Even though she was on the outskirts of the village, she has great love for it. Even though they disrespected her in the ways that they did in the end, and didn't heed her warnings. She did the best she could. And then it was beautiful to hear how Abani's mother, not beautiful, but at least it wasn't that her mother had given her to, to some terrible entity, this, this witch. It was just an old woman who cared deeply for the village. And I loved how she said she sang the song in memory of the history of that village and that it would live forever because that song is something that she remembered and that woman has been living for a long time. So um, hopefully Abani will be open to hearing the song and um, even her part in it as a little rain bringer, her part in the song. It reminds me of Oriki's. I've heard of um, in Yoruba culture, I've heard of Orikis where that's how history is passed down from one, um, from the Griots, I think it, I think the Griot, maybe even Jelly. I think like the author of the book, his middle name is Jelly, D-J-E-L-I. And I think that, yeah, that's another way of saying Griot. And so there are storytellers, praise singer, poets, musicians who carry on history by remembering it in song. And so um, it's, it was striking to see that that was what she was singing when she was out there in her garden. That's how much she loved the village and its people and how much it hurt. It seems like it would hurt her as much as it hurt um, Abani everything that happened and so hearing about the ships and the idea that the witch priests barters with the people that come from over the seas to take people in the bellies of their ships the wraiths who take people away to cross on the other side that's the the Atlantic slave trade the European slave trade that started with the Portuguese. My goodness. So, yeah. 
the wars that happen, the mind games, and 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 ugh, the focus on the spirit. Because it wasn't just I'm coming to take these people. I'm going to dismiss their culture and act like they never existed. I'm planting my flag here. And you're going to believe in my way of thinking and being and everything is the way I say it. There's only one way to be and it's my way. My goodness. Mm. We still see truth of that. Still, this is a fantasy book. Um with touches of reality because <laughs> we see that in modern society right now today there's only one way to think to be everything there's no diversity of thought people let me not get caught up in all of that it was sad it was sad but Abani had to go through the realization that her village was destroyed um her family, her life as she had known it is gone and that the witch is not her enemy and she's not being kept prisoner. She was saved by the witch. Stop calling her the witch. She was saved by the old woman and she learned to be grateful for that. And so yeah, what chapter is coming up next? Oh, talking to pots. So now I guess they're going back to the, the old woman's house. Well, where she says she's not a witch, but she's definitely some type of magician because she got a lot going on in her house. That tiny house on the outside, but humongous house on the inside with all kinds of magical doors that exist in there. So chapter eight, talking to Potts, up next. Until next time, one. Mm-hmm.